G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another Sports by Fry podcast episode. Happy Easter to everyone, happy Good Friday, hopefully you're listening to this podcast in good spirits ahead of the long weekend. Um, I'm here because I want to discuss a little bit of AFL fantasy stuff, I know, something different than the Sports by Fry channel, but I've been long talking about the NBA playoffs and teasing a bit of an insight into them, so I thought, while I've got about 30-20 minutes up my sleeve, I'm just going to give my quick bite-sized opinions on the current playoff um, series. Now, we're two games into every NBA playoff series. At the moment, the Nets and Sixers are in half-time of the third game of their series, and I think from memory, the Nuggets and Spurs just tipped off with the Warriors and Clippers still to come. So I'm going to just provide a little bit of an insight and uh, offer my two cents on each of those series. Probably set the timer for 60 seconds. I don't want it to be a long podcast today because I've got some stuff to consider and change with my AFL fantasy team as well. So I'll dive into, at the end of the pod or the second half, some relevant stuff following team selections. Um, News just broke Um, before I started recording this, that Charlie Constable could be rested for Geelong this week. So I'll talk a little bit about that. I'll talk a little bit about my trades because Will Hayes coming in for the Bulldogs has uh, altered my thinking a little bit. So without further ado, let me dive into another Sports by Fry episode. So like I've said in the past, I'm a big NBA fan and I've had uh, one eye glued on the playoff series to date. We're two games through every playoff series. Some are at 2-0, some are at 1-1, and some teams find themselves in an 0-2 hole. So I'm going to start with the East and work my way down. So the timer is on. Let's talk about the Bucks and Pistons. It's unfortunate that I have to talk about the Bucks and Pistons for a minute, but there's really nothing too surprising coming out of this series. It's a bit disappointing that Blake Griffin's not playing. The Pistons might have been able to make it interesting, but this series is all about getting things right for Milwaukee. It'll be, if they hold at the moment, they're 2-0 up and have won their first two games by about 20 points. It'll be the Bucks' first playoff series win with Giannis at the helm. So obviously they've got... a their eyes set on much bigger things in this playoffs at the moment. I think Giannis is balling out. Eric Bledslow is starting to look really good. Chris Middleton's finding form. Malcolm Brogdon coming back from injury is something to monitor in the next couple of rounds as well. But things are going to form. It's a bit disappointing that Detroit's season's going to end in almost embarrassing fashion. I thought that if they were a six or a seven seed, they might have been able to steal a game off one of the other teams, but being matched up with Milwaukee, they just don't have anyone who can slow down Giannis. As he said himself, he is unstoppable, so I think the Bucks will claim this one in four, as everyone kind of expected. Turning my attention to the Raptors and the Magic, I was a little bit shocked that Orlando won game one, but I still think, similar to the aforementioned series between Milwaukee and Detroit, this will be relatively easy business for Toronto. This was all about getting a bit of experience for Orlando. They've broken their playoff drought now. Nikola Vucevic deserves a ton of credit for helping get his team there and what he'll do in the offseason will be very interesting to watch. But yeah, I love a lot of their young guys. Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, Terrence Ross is playing out of his skin. DJ Augustine looked like the best offensive player in the world in game one. But game one did send uh, warning signs or sound off warning bells for 
Kyle Lowry, he had zero points on 0 for 7 shooting and bounced back with 22 points from just 13 shots in Game 2. But if he can't find his mojo and be a force and a factor in the playoffs, that doesn't bode well for Toronto or for their chances of keeping Kawhi. I think that'll be a popular talking point moving forwards. I think the Raptors, in my opinion, before were going to be the favourites to win it all out in the East. But yeah, they're not looking like it if Kyle Lowry's going to dish more of those games up. Let's go Sixers-Nets in under 60 seconds. Now, I would be worried if I'm a Philadelphia fan. They have not looked like the world-beating team we all expected them to be when they landed Tobias Harris, partially because they haven't had a lot of time to figure out the right combination for this team. And landing Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler saw them sacrifice a lot of their depth. And the Brooklyn Nets are a scrappy team that I think will force this series to go six or seven games. Currently, the Sixers are up by a few points, and the big factor for game three is that Joel Embiid is not playing. His health is going to not only determine what Philadelphia does this postseason, but pretty much in the next four to five years. I think there's rumors going around that he could have a bit of knee tendonitis, which would be a serious issue. So, yeah, watch out, Sixers fans. This could get ugly. I love the Nets. I love D'Angelo Russell and Dinwiddie. And it's just great to see Karis LeVert back out there contributing after what happened to him earlier this season. So if I had to make a pick, I'd say Sixers in seven right now. But it doesn't really mean that Boston, uh, Boston, that Philadelphia is going to be in for a lengthy playoff stint. Speaking of Boston, they're 2-0 up against the Pacers right now. And starting to quietly just find a bit of mojo. I don't think it'll translate into a hell of a lot, but they've beaten Indiana in the first two games, and for all those people who said Boston is better off playing without Kyrie Irving, you're kind of being forced to eat crow. He had 37 in game two, kind of illustrating just how dominant he can be. He's not going to go out and get you a dozen assists every game, but I rate Kyrie Irving. He cops a lot of shit, and he might not be the best leader in the world, but he's someone who's about my age. So if I was out there trying to run the Celtics through a playoff run, I'm sure I'd say some stuff that uh, reporters wouldn't uh, take too kindly and fans wouldn't like. His future, obviously, is a big talking point moving forwards, but I think they should make like work of the Pacers, probably win in five or six. Indiana will take one of the games at home. They're a scrappy team. Nate McMillan's got them doing the right things, but they just don't have the personnel to make this a worthwhile playoff stretch for uh, Indiana, I don't think, which is a bit of a shame. I thought if Victor Oladipo was healthy, things are different, but such is life. Let's look out west to the Warriors and Clippers matchup. Surprisingly tied at one apiece. No one in the world would have expected the Clippers to win a game in Oracle, let alone when they were down 31 points against the Warriors. That's right, 31 points. They stormed back to win game two, and I still think that the Warriors are going to win in five. The big issue is the fact that Boogie Cousins has now suffered a season-ending quad tear. I don't know how to think about this. It might actually turn out to be a good thing for the Warriors, I think, with a few less mouths, with Boogie not taking up the shots, I should say. It could actually work out all right for Golden State. They might balance their shot distribution a bit better and find the mojo that helped them storm to three straight finals. The Clippers, kudos to them for taking a game. It's a testament to how hard they've played and worked this year, but being matched up against Golden State, I don't really give them a hell of a lot of chance to win any other games. Warriors are vulnerable, though. I would not be surprised if I was taking them or the field right now. I'd probably side with the field. Okie dokie, Nuggets and Spurs out west. The 2-7 matchup. Uh, this game had just begun. Uh, I think it's about halfway through the first quarter while I'm recording this. And 
Warning bells are ringing for Denver, that's for sure. But we all need to remember that this Nuggets team is in their first playoff trip in about five seasons. This whole group, with the exception of Paul Millsap and IT, if you really count it, has never played in the playoffs. And they're going up against arguably the greatest coach in NBA history in Greg Popovich. So if I see the Spurs advance, I'm not going to be surprised at all. It is a letdown for Denver because we all expected them being a lofty two seed to kind of make some noise. But it is what it is. Jamal Murray's still young and inconsistent. Nikola Jokic is still yearning. This group is still meshing. They'll be better from this playoff run. Because they're sitting at a two seed, people will be like, oh, Denver's in trouble because of the lofty expectations that come with such a high seed. But usually a team will come and play one series in the playoffs, have a cup of coffee, and then rebound and come back strong next year, which was which is what I think the Nuggets will do. Credit to the Spurs, though. They look like they're going to, if they do get over the line, make this uh, playoffs stretch worthwhile. The Portland Trailblazers and the OKC Thunder are up next. And at the start of the playoffs, I probably would have sided with the Thunder to get over the line here. However, through two games, Portland has a 2-0 lead. They took care of business at home. And while a lot of people are kind of just saying that's what you expect to happen, they're meant to win their games at home, I would be worried if I'm an OKC fan because Paul George is definitely her and not himself. Steven Adams looks about 35, not 25. He's only been in the league six years. He looks banged up. And Portland is playing out of their mind. This could be Dame Lillard's coming out party, and it might turn him into a serious contender for an MVP down the line. People are now starting him to put in in the top seven to eight player in the NBA range, and honestly, he's playing like it right now. I love Dame, and he deserves all the credit he's going to get if Portland gets over the line, but I think it says a little bit more about OKC's shortcomings. This would be, from memory, the second consecutive first-round exit for the Thunder. Russ is still doing his role, but yeah, Paul George being hurt really hampers their chances of uh, getting over the line in this series. Last one, Rockets Jazz. James Harden is not going to win the MVP, uh, in my opinion. I think it'll go to Giannis, but he is unstoppable on offense, and he is just having his way with this Utah team. And probably more scarily, that's not a word, but I'm using it, the fact that his teammates are all coming to the party as well. Utah's meant to be this great defensive juggernaut, and there's only so much you can do when you don't really have anyone recognizable outside of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. But yeah, the likes of Chris Paul, PJ Tucker, Clint Capella, they're all playing their roles for this Rockets team, which has me thinking that they can upset the Warriors if they advance in the next round. Right now, if I was uh, trying to pick a team out of the West, I'd pick Houston because of the way they're playing. Harden is just a different beast. He's kind of performing at will. I know that he might not be putting up the same eye-popping numbers that he was earlier this year, but that's almost a good thing because people that were hating on him will say that it's easy for him just to take 100 shots and score 100 points. But yeah, if he's doing it very educatedly and he's getting to his spots and getting his teammates involved, this Rockets team could go very deep. All right, that's all I want to talk about NBA playoff-wise. I'll probably provide another bit of a snippet into the NBA playoffs after another two games when things shift to game five and which by that time we might have a couple of series that have ended but I want to dive into AFL fantasy once again uh, team selection has been revealed we still don't know the teams for Sunday and we still don't know the team we won't know the team before lockout for Easter Monday between Geelong and Hawthorne which is a little bit concerning because there are some relevant cats that are under the microscope so I'm going to start there and then do a work around all the way back to the th- uh, get Friday games today. So Easter Monday, we've got Geelong versus Hawthorne, and Charlie Constable being rested throws a spanner into the works for a lot of coaches. Now, 
I wouldn't be trading out Charlie Constable just yet. If he gets you a star midfielder, I can see why you do it, especially not playing. There's not a lot of hope for a midfield bench player to come in and deliver in Constable's shoes, but he still has room to grow. He's been great to start this season, so he might be doing a very similar thing, and it probably is, let's be honest, to what happened with Bailey Scott this week. He was rested. He'll come back against Essendon. It'll be very interesting to watch him, but... I think that Constable should be held. However, if there are some trades that you can manufacture by dealing Constable, don't hold him just for the potential earnings that he could get. And you can always bring him back in, you know? You might get an injury and that could change for something, but him being out probably means that Jordan Clark holds his spot, which is great news for those coaches who are keeping him in their side. He still could be ruled out late with the Guthrie brothers, uh, the likely inclusions to this Geelong outfit against Hawthorne. So for that reason, if you are not trading out Jordan Clark, who by no means is a must trade, I want to reiterate that, but if you're going to hold him, I'd probably advise putting him on your bench and then shifting someone onto your field, maybe even make Clark on your field and have a non, have a playing emergency if you really want, but yeah, like I said, he's not a must trade, so if you want to get a little bit fancy, you could bench him. That's probably what I'll do this week. I had the luxury of, got, of having Marty Hoare on my pine, so I'll probably flick him onto my field and give Clarkie a rest off. I've already talked a little bit about Bailey Scott, and he's going to clash with Essendon in a couple of hours' time, about 2.30 WA time from memory. What a way to start your Good Friday footy fixture. Um, but I think the talking point out of this game is the fact that Devin Smith is another player who's been rested and managed. We're going into a weird position in the AFL fixture where some teams are going to be playing on Wednesday and Thursday next week. Some teams are playing Monday this week. So I think I've seen a lot of graphics saying that there's about 10 games in 11 days. Round 5 and 6 are very strange. We've got DPPs coming out, which is going to be odd as well. So... A lot to manage and a lot to monitor, but if you're a Devin Smith owner, it's not crazy to consider trading him out. He hasn't really lit the world on fire to start this year. I still think he'll be a top six forward, or at least deserves to be in the mix for a top six forward, but if you can flick him to someone like Billings or uh, Tim Kelly maybe, or I don't know who else, Travi Boak, I think those three guys are good targets for this round to get rid of. Uh, Smith 4, and hopefully Devon can uh, recapture his form from 2018 and be brought back in later down the road. The second game of Good Friday will see Port Adelaide versus West Coast, and while on paper it looks like a really good matchup, from a fantasy perspective, it could be a very uh, disappointing day. All four of the Port Adelaide rookies have held their spot in the sides, thank God, because there was a lot of speculation that they could be ditched. Of course, those blokes I'm talking about are Connor Rosie, Zach Butters, Xavier Dersma, and Willem Drew. But I don't expect them to score very high. The West Coast Eagles are just quietly one of the stingiest defensive uh, fantasy teams in the league. I think from memory they're rank about sixth. But it feels like they hold uh, fantasy relevant players much uh, below their average. So don't go expecting a huge amount from these Port rookies. I don't think any of them should be dealt because they've held their spot in the side. However, Zach Butters is probably at the bottom of the food chain in that group, followed closely by Willem Drew. I'd give Dersma and Rosie a little bit of a longer leash, but I am concerned about um, Zach Butters and his long-term potential. And if you can get someone like Will Hayes or Jack Ross in and save a ton of money, or maybe even flick him out with Charlie Constable and get one of those aforementioned uh, guys I talked about, you could turn Constable into someone relevant. So there's plenty of things to be considered there, but I would not trade any of them just yet, but don't go expecting them to set the world on fire this week. 
We've got a couple of debutants this round, one of which I've already spoken about in Will Hayes. He's coming in for the Bulldogs, 170k midfielder who won Footscray's Best and Fairest in the VFL last year. He went at about a 96, 98-point clip from memory last year in the VFL, and he's someone that I will probably bring straight in this week. I'll talk a little bit of my trades at the end, but I'm a really big fan of Will Hayes, and I'm trying not to let that taint my uh, trade opinion this week. There's nothing wrong with bringing in Jack Ross as well. They're both good picks, but Will Hayes is coming into a Bulldogs team with Taylor Jaray, the only real midfielder being omitted at the moment, the only relevant midfielder, I should say. Things might change, I think, from memory. That game's on Sunday, so we won't know the full teams till probably after you're listening to this podcast. But for that reason, I think that Will Hayes coming in while all the Bulldogs midfielders have been named is a good sign. I don't think that, similar to Tom Atkins, they're going to play him in a lot of a high half-forward role. I hope I'm wrong. I think what it means is that Josh Dunkley and Bailey Smith might chop out a few of their minutes and play them closer to goal. And Toby McLean, who's played predominantly forward this year, might be... Uh, give. I don't think he's played at all through the midfield, but if he has, he will lose that time to Hayes. Um, saving the extra 50k and bringing in Will Hayes over Jack Ross is a question that I'm getting a lot of. Which way do you deter? Which way do you want to go? You can't really go wrong either way. I'll be honest. They're both great picks. I personally, as you clearly just heard in the last minute 30, have a bit of a man crush on Will Hayes, so he'll be. Uh, my pick, but there's nothing wrong with getting Ross. He's performed well in his debut against the Giants. The only concern for me with Ross is he has come in while Trent Cotchin has gone out, and if Ross performs well over the next fortnight, he might not be the one who's omitted for Trent Cotchin when his hamstring's healthy, but all it needs is one bad game for him to seemingly be dropped out of this Tigers outfit. So for that reason, I'm kind of siding with Hayes just for now, but I'll be honest, if Stack... I've uh, Stack, jeez, I'm all over, the, all over the shop. If Ross puts up another good game, I might bring him into my midfield and sit him on my pine as well. Lockie Young is the other Bulldogs debutant, a rebounding defender. I'll be honest, I haven't heard a hell of a lot about him. I did a little bit of research into him after I heard he was going to be named to make his debut. He could be someone that generates you a ton of money if you dump one of your topped-out uh, rookies on your bench. If you want to get rid of Jordan Clark, there's a quick 100, 150 grand you can make there, but... I do worry about his job security. Let's be honest, as soon as Matt Suckling's probably healthy, he's straight back into the team. But if you want to keep Young around for three weeks, maybe he earns you a bit of coin. Hopefully he can then be offloaded for someone, another 170k bloke down the line. Not for me, but I do have pretty uh, good rookies across my defensive line, and I've got a solid outfit there. So Lockie Young doesn't come into consideration for me. But if it helps you generate cash to make another significant upgrade, by all means, go for it. The last of a trio of debutantes, the relevant fantasy rookies anyway, is Jackson Hatley, who we all expected to come in for Cal Ward after his uh, unfortunate ACL tear. Hatley is a little bit dearer than these other basement guys that I've talked about, and for that reason, he's surrounded by a little bit of doubt. There's nothing wrong with bringing him in. He is a good player, don't get me wrong. I was a bit jealous when he didn't come to the Dockers via the draft, but he's sitting at 244k, so for that reason, I would tend to go Will Hayes or Jack Ross who have a little bit less, uh, cost you a little bit less, and Ross has numbers on the board already. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm siding with Hatley. He's a tricky position, but if you want to chop out butters for him, I think that's a fine idea. There's a lot of mouths to feed in that Giants midfield, though, let's not forget. So I'm a little bit, I have a little bit of skepticism over how Hatley can score, but he could hold his side if he, uh, hold his spot on the side if he puts up a couple of good games. Uh, Callum Ward's not coming back to steal his spot anytime soon, so not a terrible pick by any means. 
There isn't a ton else I wanted to cover with regards to teams. As I mentioned, by the time you're listening to this, uh, you'll probably know the Sunday squads, but we haven't had them confirmed yet. But there's all the relevant sort of stuff that you uh, probably want to know about. So I'm going to dive a little bit into my trades before I wrap this thing up. This week, I'm getting rid of Josh Dunkley. Mark my words, I don't care if he scores 150, he is gone. I Expect him to go out and do a 110, because that seems to be the theme of the large fries and coke. Trade out Alex Witherden, ball out. Trade out Isaac Heaney, ball out. So if you are a Josh Dunkley owner, you might want to hold him and uh, test the fry theory and see if he does well. But he'll turn into Jack Billings for me. I'm a believer of Billings. And considering how crap the forward rookies are at the moment, the idea of getting another uh, premium that's stable in my forward line appeals to me a little bit more than getting a midfielder. I was toying with the idea of chopping Dunkley into Libba and saving 30k there, but instead I'm going to pay the extra dollars and get Billings, which allows me to bat four decent players deep into my forward line. Uh, my second deal will probably be set a field down to Will Hayes at this moment. I was going to get rid of Parker and Dunkley and uh, eat into my savings a little bit more with Billings and Hayes or Ross as well, but with Parker holding his spot in the Saints side, even though he's hurt, I think it's smart to hold on to him over Will Setterfield. A lot of people are going into the round five uh, matchups with Will Setterfield sitting on their bench somewhere with full intention of trading him out next week when either Michael Gibbons or Tom Atkins gets DPP so they can chop around the midfield, which makes a lot of sense. It's a good idea, but... We could just get thrown a random curveball that forces you to make a higher priority trade, and then all of a sudden, you're stuck with Setterfield on your bench. And for people in that position, I was in that position at the start of the week myself, I'm just saying, just caution that, be wary of it. They then might look at it and say, oh, well, he'll come back in round seven and he can play. But we do remember that Will Setterfield was scoring 50s before his 70 against the Gold Coast. So I think he's virtually topped out in price. It's a good idea to get rid of him. So if you can do it this round, go for it, because you might not be able to next round. That's all i got time for. I'm going to try and edit this podcast and get it out to the world before the start of the Kangaroos and Essendon game. Uh, I should have that done, barring anything crazy, but I also want to tune into a bit of the Nugs and Spurs and Sixers Brooklyn game. So thank you for tuning in once again. Happy Easter. Good luck in round five from a fantasy perspective. I'll be back with a round wrap-up on Tuesday. Hopefully I can get that recorded Tuesday night and posted. If not, it'll be out on Wednesday. So make sure you catch that one. Until next time, peace.